Welcome to The Hybrid Model, an education podcast. James Baldwin once argued that education, rather than riots, is more likely to lead to successful revolution. As public educators, Jessica and I believe in the fundamental liberating power of public education. It's in this vein of liberation pedagogy and deep in the confines of virtual teaching that we first conjured up this show. I say conjured because when teaching goes right, it sure feels like magic. Now, if you like what the show represents or like listening to us discuss our lives in public education, we hope that you will give us a five-star review on iTunes and subscribe to hear future episodes. Now on to episode number one. Jessica Greider and I teach English language arts. This year I have all sophomores. I have a combination of online classes and face-to-face classes. So I'm, I'm teaching an everyday class online and an every other day class online and an everyday class in person and an every other day class in person. Uh, and we're in a hybrid model. So um, I have a set of students, two sets of students that I see one time a week in person and another set of students that I see two times a week in person. Um, And it's all very confusing, but I feel like I finally have hit a groove maybe six weeks into this thing. And I, I think that like a lot of teachers, we're in just a huge, huge struggle in 2020. And I think we need to talk about it. We need to talk about the things that are making our job incredibly difficult right now. Not as if our job isn't already incredibly difficult, but there have been a lot of added things. And I think we really need to focus on just talking about that, finding other people who feel the same way that we do, and just talking about solutions. I don't I don't like to complain if I can't also seek a solution to my complaint. So I, I think that's important too. Um, this is my 11th year teaching, and um, what else should I say about myself? I'm one of very few teachers of color at our school, which also has has brought its own challenges to me, but also opportunities. So yeah, yeah. I think that's me. Yeah, that's great. Um, so my name is uh, Tyler Unsel, and I teach uh, in the same uh, school district, in the same school that Jessica does. Uh, I teach primarily debate and forensics. Um, You will probably notice throughout these episodes, uh, I gravitate towards um, argument. I gravitate towards controversy. It's just kind of the nature of, I think, the course that I'm I'm comfortable swimming in that ocean. Um, This is year 17 in public education, so I've been around uh, a little while. And I, I think both Jessica and I come to this podcast with the same set of expectations in that this is a wonky year and of course that is like the primary concern right is is a little bit of our own therapy and uh, a little bit of uh, i think our own passionate uh passion about you know what we do uh but yeah hopefully we'll we'll talk through some stuff uh we'll help engage with some other educators in uh you know, explore some of the issues that we are facing, at least for me. And I don't want to speak for you, Jessica, but like 
these are all issues that I think probably transcend the pandemic, but they are particularly exposed because of it, right? So I think our job was challenging before. Um, it's particularly challenging now, yeah? So let, let's start there, right? Like uh, uh, I'm teaching hybrid, so I'm teaching at home, I'm teaching students in the class, I'm teaching virtual kids, and because of debate being co-curricular, I'm teaching these virtual kids that only come into the building for my class. So like it, it is a total incomplete mess, but you know, debate is a little free form anyways. What is it like to try to manage everybody? So that has been um, the most challenging part of this is just managing those those kids who are at home and those kids who are in person. And for me, um, my biggest thing in teaching is relationships. That is always just first and foremost. It's always at the forefront of my mind. And doing that in this scenario is incredibly difficult. Um, I keep searching for ways to engage with my students when they're here in person, when they have to be six feet apart and keep their masks on and we can't do small group work and we can't get up and move around and everyone is feeling super awkward. And then also trying to form any sort of relationship with a student online who I've never met in person, who I can sometimes get to join a Zoom meeting and sometimes I can't. And it's interesting that you mentioned that because you teach a, a co-curricular course, you have students who come into the building physically just for your class. So I actually have a lot of those students in my English class. And because of the way our schedule is set up, their class is opposite in their schedule of your class or whatever co-curricular class they have, right. band, orchestra, choir. And so... I don't have a set schedule for those students. I can't say, hey guys, first block on this day, we're going to have a Zoom meeting, come join me, because they don't all have my class first block or second block or third block or whatever it is. So I have a lot of optional Zooms. And so when kids see that word optional, they're like, oh, I don't, I don't need to go to that. And so I, I have found that that's really one of the biggest struggles in forming relationships with my online students is I don't really have any sort of accountability piece because I just, I can't create that. Um, yeah. And then I think also just since we're on the topic, it just creates huge issues of equity when we're talking about our online students, you know, who is available for a Zoom at a certain time and are they supposed to be? I think with students who have, who are all online, it also opens up the door for them to seek out other opportunities like working during the daytime, um, caring for younger siblings or cousins, um, literally sleeping. I mean, there are just so many things that have really sort of impeded what I typically do in the classroom. And so I've I've been seeking solutions. I've been trying different things. I have failed at several things. Some things have been successful. Um, but I, it feels like, you know, a month and a half into this, I'm still doing a lot of trial and error. Yeah. And that's, yeah. that's a, it's mentally exhausting. It's emotionally taxing. It's, it's taxing to feel like you keep trying new things and keep failing at them when it's something that I feel like I've been very good at my whole career is yeah. forming those bonds. So um, that's, that's sort of 
where I am right now, that's my biggest struggle is building those relationships. And then just the tediousness of keeping track of who I'm going to see in person on what day and who needs an assignment on which particular day. Um, is it a red day? Is it a white day? Is it group A? Is it group B? That just that I have to write in my planner. I am physically seeing these students this day. I need to open these assignments for this particular class. And that that in itself adds just extra layers of work that I've never had before. Yeah. Yeah. I think I don't know. That's part of I, I have struggled. Um, I mean, dude, I, I think all of us uh uh, particularly people that are empathetic, right? Like uh, that value that and, and you know, um, seek, seek to try to make themselves even more empathetic, I think are suffering with the pandemic period, right? But that shapes, uh, I think both of our teaching philosophies is this general idea that education can be revolutionary, that education can be, um, you know, like uh, like I wrote my master's thesis on like pedagogy of the oppressed, right? Like at the at the end of the day, I believe that it, it, it education generally can be a mechanism to escape oppression and you know that kind of stuff. But but the beginning part of that is all building a relationship of trust with your kid, which is immensely difficult when everybody's got a mask on. You know, like it's just. Uh, I, I, I wasn't prepared for how difficult that was going to be. I knew like doing that crap on Zoom and that kind of stuff was going to be hard. I knew like I was going to have to be creative like you were and like I, I don't know, most of the time I'm used to screwing up. So like that part doesn't doesn't necessarily bother me. But like I was just not prepared for how cold like the whole thing can be. And like that is – I think for some teachers that we work with, they really thrive in that environment, right? Because they're very traditional, maybe. Uh, I don't, and and this is this has been hard because you know I I can't I can't see everybody every day, and it's really difficult to build a relationship with a kid who you see maybe once a week. You know, I don't. And I mean, speaking of just being cold, I I realize. I mean, I knew this about myself before, but it's just been amplified. I rely so much on my nonverbal language. Yeah, right. Nobody can see me smirk under my mask, <laughs> change any sort of facial features, and I I have found, you know, how awkward that is because I also can't see it on anybody else. So I, I turn to look at a student, and I, I have no idea what they're seeing from me, but I feel like all I'm seeing from them is like just the stoic half inch above their mask, and that's yeah, that was something I I. Yeah, I'm really struggling with that. Yeah, well, I've I've learned to uh, be way more expressive with my eyebrows. You know, <laughs> like I'm trying to convey a whole litany of emotions just with uh, you know how I cock an eyebrow. So, yeah, yeah, I think uh, so. Speech tournaments are all online, right? And they used to be this really ginormous. I'm going to describe it as a time suck, right? Because it is. It's it's essentially 12 hours on Friday and another 12 on Saturday, and uh, you know, as my own family has grown, that has really been difficult for me to learn that balance. What is even more difficult uh, than that is trying to do all of that from home, right? And you don't build any kind of uh, relationship with those kids. And I, I feel like I can put fires out both with them on a individual level with, you know, successes and failures if we're in person 
or like structural problems like I can't get to my round like that's all stuff I can handle those are all problems I can handle but like your child didn't show up to their virtual room can you get a hold of them and be like well maybe I don't know <laughs> and I, I feel like that yeah maybe has been kind of how the last two months have felt you know like can you do this I don't know yeah maybe, <laughs> maybe. you know <laughs> We'll see. Uh. I also imagine that's super hard on your relationships because, I mean, I was in speech and debate in high school and I remember the bus rides and just hanging out and all of that downtime and not just you as their teacher or their coach building relationships with them, but them building relationships with each other. I think that's that's hard. And just knowing that they're missing out on that as well, that's got to be tough. Yeah, right. Like at at the end of the day, I think they they have to like – uh, me to, to stick around, but they really have to like the activity and the people in it, right? So it's it's how do you build that? And at least with us, all of that is, is like bottom up, right? Like um, if my varsity kids can't connect with the young kids, then it's it's kind of all rudderless, which is part of the reason why I've like brought everybody in now on the weekends and we'll compete virtually from our own high school. Uh, our administration has been uh, kind enough to kind of let that happen because I didn't know that was going to be a, a choice. So I'm appreciative of that. Yeah. But, you know, I, I think that is just a microcosm of, of what every teacher that's like you and I, um, you know, goes through. And, and it's important to note, uh, I, I think your perspective is unique and way different than mine because, like, I'm a like I'm a heterosexual white dude, so I I exist in this plane of privilege. So oftentimes when I run into problems like this, I you know I, I don't feel 100% comfortable in criticizing it because like I my problems pale in compare comparison to a lot of the students that we have and a lot of the faculty that we have, you know. So I I think one of the issues that we definitely need to talk about, though, right? Like, uh, I think that both you and I are eager to talk about is there seems to be a pretty large schism in, um, you know, in the in the teaching movement in teachers generally about whether or not to uh, hold our kids to the same rigor and accountability that we would during the year or to show them grace, to, to recognize the uniqueness of this perspective or of this particular time and and then adjust things accordingly like where where do you come in on all of that so this is something that i've really been exploring a lot probably since we shut down face to face back in march and our district really preached to us having grace um, having grace for our students having grace for ourselves and i think that you and i would both agree that we're in a building that relies heavily on our students performance so yes um i think just sort of how the community sees us and they see our students test scores and the classes that they're taking in the colleges that they are accepted to and so i'm i find myself having a really difficult balance i'm having a hard time finding a balance between I really am just going to let go of all of this grading and who needs grades. And also, like, I still want to have this really high standard in this place where I work. And so I I have found that right now I think I'm falling somewhere in the middle 
which is is comfortable for me right now, but I, I'm not done exploring what that looks like. So I'm going to approach this two different ways. One is just sort of the, the, the grades themselves, and then the other one being the academic rigor that I am pushing on students or that I'm actually not pushing on students right now. Um, so firstly, I, I have to remember sort of where I am pandemic wise and also everything else that's going on. So I think about myself personally as a black woman, what I've experienced the last, well, my whole life, but really just what has happened the last six months with the social injustice, the protests, um, the uprisings, if you will, and just sort of where I am mentally and emotionally and what that looks like for me. And I think about what that then looks like in our students. And I realize that, you know, I'm a generation removed from our students, but I still think that they're experiencing everything that's going on and sort of the toll that that's taking on them. So I, I think about the toll that the pandemic is taking. I'm thinking about the toll that racism is taking. I, I'm thinking about the toll that sort of politics in general are taking. And I, I have to step back and say, this this probably isn't the time to start increasing rigor and pushing students to do more and be more and read more and analyze more. I mean, that's, that's just not the purpose of this. And so for me as an English teacher, you know, I'm, I'm incredibly passionate about communication and reading and writing and sort of what that looks like. Um, I think you mentioned earlier, just kind of getting out of your oppressive state, I guess, is probably the best way to phrase it. And I that's what I really want to do. I, I like using my classroom to promote anti-racism and being inclusive and what I have found is that's been hard for me this year because I, I teach this course with four other teachers. And so the five of us have to be on the same page. And I'm not, sure. I'm not fighting, I'm not complaining about that. I think at this point when you're not sure who's gonna be quarantined and who's not and um, what students are there and who's, not, I think it makes sense that we all need to be on the same page. But what I have found is I've got some marginalized students that I want to reach out to, that I want to show them, hey, these are things that you can read, these are things that you can write. And I feel really, really trapped in the lesson plans that me and my fellow colleagues have made. So that being said, I feel like I'm sort of stuck in this, like this plan that we rolled out in August, but it's okay because I know that I'm not at a point where I'm like, going to push this rigor and make them do more in a, in a time when it's feels nearly impossible some days yeah. to do anything more than what you're already doing. So that's one side of it. The other side of it is the grading. I mean, what is the purpose? What are we doing right now? You know, what, why are we taking off points for certain things and why does that matter? And I've really had to question myself on that because I, I think that the biggest thing we can get out of this right now is just feedback. Like, let me help you be a better student and like not give you an F. So, um, and I, I realized that a lot of my colleagues haven't been doing that. And that's, oh man, that's hard because then I end up with emails from students who are like, well, this teacher over here wouldn't let me make this up and now I have an F and I'm not gonna be able to pull this up. And I think, 
why are we putting our students in that situation? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, so I come from the, the unique perspective or maybe the not so unique perspective. Like I had epiphany maybe a decade ago, right? Where I realized all grades, I don't care if it's math or English or debate or you know whatever, physics, all grades are arbitrary, right? Because they, they, they go into a grade book by human beings who can choose to grant particular moments of uh, grace or you know what, whatever you would like to call that, right? But at the minute, at that particular moment where you realize that grades are what we decide to put in, I, I see no functional reason to punish a child, uh, particular, particularly in these unique moments, because what, they haven't met the, this made up standard that we've created, right? And I, I like if you reach that position, then the only function that grades have, I think, is punitive, right? Like to to correct illicit behavior, and like that's the opposite, at least in my mind, of like uh, you know uh, freedom by education, you know uh, reducing oppression in the classroom, that kind of stuff, right? Grades shouldn't reinforce, um, you know, kids all being the same right uh and i'm I'm not about that so you you talk some about like how your curriculum may hamper particular lessons or particular ideas uh do you feel comfortable giving like an example of like maybe something you would like to teach but you kind of feel boxed in as a result of where we're at? Sure, yeah. I would say this this year in particular is so different than other years, so I, I want to make sure I say that. I will say that our principal has been great about letting me do what I want in the classroom. So one of the reasons I've, I've loved working here is because as long as I sort of stay within the curriculum box and I'm sort of meeting certain standards and sort of towing the line, I get to do what I want. I, I feel like I have so much autonomy in my classroom and that has been amazing as far as, like you said, freedom by education. Um, so in previous years, I have felt like I've been able to teach the things that I want, but it's been scary. It's scary to go against the things that your colleagues are doing. It's scary to get outside of your comfort zone and to take everything you know about education and just sort of flip it on its head. And so it did take me a long time to get there. I mean, I didn't come out of college just guns blazing and doing all of this sort of anti-racist work. And it's it's been a journey to get there. But what I what I started doing several years ago was just independent choice. So letting students choose the books that they wanted to read, choose the projects they wanted to create. And I think that's really powerful because what students have found is that, well, they, they're finding their passions. They're figuring sure. out what, what they care about the most and doing something with it. And they're becoming really great critical thinkers. And so that's that's been really big for me the the issue this year though again is you know there are five of us teaching this same course it's a graduation requirement every single student in our building has to take this course and 
I definitely feel confined this year. And again, it's I, I understand the point behind this setup. I understand why we need to do things the same every single day. But, you know, here in a couple weeks, my students are going to start reading Macbeth. And, you know, I've got my own whatever ethical issues with Shakespeare. And I, I can, you know, I can spin anything and make it relevant and tell the students why it's important that we're reading Shakespeare. But it's definitely not what I want to do, especially not right now. I'm, you know, when we're in the middle of all of these protests against social injustice and it's an election year, I feel like there are so many things I could be doing with my students right now to empower them, to help them think on their own. And it's not something I'm going to be able to do this year. And that's honestly yeah. kind of heartbreaking. I mean, I, I just yeah, feel right. like man, this, this is an, an opportunity that is not going to come around very often. Well, I hope, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. So I, I, so now I'm sort of in this questioning period where I think, okay, what if, you know, my students online are doing this, but then I do something else in the classroom, which then you're like, oh man, that creates a ton more work for me. And yeah. <laughs> it's, it's really, it's a tough, tough balance, but I feel like I'm, if I don't do something, I feel like I'm just losing this amazing opportunity to help my students yeah. just sort of and, grow as human beings. Yeah, and, and momentum and energy, right? Like uh, sometimes it's hard to create that in the classroom, right? And we have, I think, this unique moment that provides all of that energy anyways, you know? But like, I, I, I don't know. I have found as I grow older, uh, and spend more time in the classroom, right? Like I am way more cognizant of the fact that probably the most liberating thing that I can do for my kids uh, is to give them choice, right? And, and to allow them the space and the time to create their own opinions and to pursue, uh, I think you called it their own passions, right? Uh, and I think that was a, that's a really difficult thing, even like as a beginning teacher, like I was, I was full of the same type of liberation mentality, right? But uh, I don't know. I wasn't confident enough in my ability to manage a classroom where there are fourteen different things going on, or you know, whatever. If that makes any kind of sense. But yeah, man, like uh, just like our kids, I think our teachers here in the building are, are are wonderful and great, and I think for the most part they are in it for the right reasons, but like the the difference in how you create curriculum and how you choose to deliver it uh i think is still a work in progress man and it's part of the same anxiety that you and i feel is that at the end of the day uh will we get in trouble <laughs> you know like that that governs every every decision because uh i love my job and i would like to keep it uh but but also like uh how do we balance our particular viewpoint with the other people that are operating within um, within the same context, you know? And, and I think both you and I, we've had a lot of conversations kind of off mic about the role of education and how the, the social movements of the past six months kind of influence us personally and us as teachers. And like, it's important to note uh, not everybody in the building feels that way. And it is, it is difficult to reconcile my relationships with them while also advocating for my students of color or my students that happen to be poor or my, you know, like 
And I, I don't have the answers to that yet other than I'm always going to be student-focused, you know. And if I have to choose between the two, then I think we have seen, like, it, the, the time for pretending like everything is fine is over, right? And uh, so I don't know. I feel a greater obligation to, to be that advocate, right? And if I see something, I, I don't like to make waves, but I, I will definitely bring it up, you know. Uh, which kind of leads me to the, the crux of that conversation, the, the crux of that question that we, we ask at the beginning, like, is now the time to increase rigor, right? Is now the time to really drill home some of those, uh, you know, some of those skills that we've been teaching. And like right now, my, my wife who teaches at a sister high school, uh, like half of the teachers are like, no, we have to hold them the same standard. They'll be so behind next year. And, you know, they're just uh, staying at home playing video games and they're not really going through what you think they're going through. And then there's like the half that I think you and I and, and my wife kind of fit within it. But like, uh, first off, it's hard for us, you know, as fully functioning adults, right? So maybe now is the time to, to step off the throttle and reevaluate how you know how we're doing things so absolutely i, I mean and if, if there's any a time for if there's ever a time for reevaluation, it's right now right and i i also think that's just a huge part of being an educator is is self-reflection and reevaluating and knowing what needs to change from year to year and week to week and day to day. And I think if there are people in our profession who aren't doing that, who aren't taking a step back and trying to figure out what's working and what's not working and why, then they need to ask some other questions. Like, why am I a teacher? Like, if you're yeah. not in it for, I mean, I have always felt like choosing this profession is more than just being passionate about your content you have to be passionate about young people about teaching young people and i i feel like if there are people in in our building who who don't feel that way and i think yeah. how could you possibly do this job and pour what you need to pour into it if you're not passionate about the people in front of you every day yeah well that and i mean it goes back to an issue that i have said now pretty openly for the last three or four years right I, I really bristle at teachers in the classroom that are like, I am incredibly neutral. You'll never know what my political positions are and blah, blah, blah. I'm, I'm very open. I like, I, I don't talk like at length and specifically about my political positions, but like we all have a particular bias and I fundamentally believe teaching when done right is a political act. It is a political choice, right? So I'm, I'm not gonna pretend like I am this perfectly neutral body that just gets to impart knowledge when, you know, like I, I think picking what knowledge to impart is within itself political. Absolutely. You know? That's I 100 percent agree with you. And I also think that I'm, I'm in a different position than you are because my students see me and they see a black woman. And I think they understand, yeah. you know, I don't I don't get to be neutral in a lot of things. It's just not a part of who I am in my day to day. And so. For me, you know, I, I don't know if you've experienced this, but I, I don't really get a lot of pushback or any challenge from students or their parents or from administrators or other colleagues because no one's going to look at me and say, well, Jessica, you can't be black right now because that that's too political <laughs> or whatever it is. I mean, there's, 
you know, I there's just so much I think that goes into my experience in the classroom because of just who I am, just the the demographics and the marginalizations and yeah. so yeah, I'm I 100% in agreement with you that like teaching is a political act and we shouldn't just walk in and say I'm neutral. And I also yeah. think that it's important for students to see adults kind of figure that out for themselves and see how they handle it. And I, I think both of our courses, both of the things that we teach really just lend themselves to that. Just being able to say like, here's this evidence and here's my argument and here's where I'm taking it. So I think, I think that's a, that's a big deal. And I think we don't talk about that enough. Yeah. Well, and, and, and that breeds, right? Like, uh, I, I tend to, what, uh, one of my, views that has probably evolved over time, right? Is that we can evaluate uh, everybody's different arguments, right? And and understanding each side is important and that discourse is a thing that we should strive towards. I believe all of those things, but I also, like the last five or 10 years, am keenly aware that some people's arguments uh, don't have a, a place in academia, you know? like. Uh, I, I have difficulty discussing, um, you know, I, I don't know, uh, if I happen to have a, a Latino student in class, right, and, and I have uh, another student that would like to be critical of Latinos generally, right, or, or maybe even illegal immigration and call illegal immigrants, um, you know, crappy words and, and, you know, clearly coming from a uh, a racially insensitive position, you know? Uh, like, I, I just think I have fundamentally come to grips with the fact that those arguments aren't productive and do more harm for my, my students of color than they do good by evaluating them, uh, you know, in, in an open academic uh, fashion. Does that make sense? It does absolutely make sense. And I will tell you that I think that you have a much different experience than I do, because honestly, I think my students are too scared to say things like that in class. In ah, all right. Um, I, I'm only saying that because I, I did have a particular issue once a few years ago. And I, what, what you should know about me is that <laughs> I'm I'm an incredibly nice person all the time for no reason. Like, I don't need a reason to be nice to you until you push me too far. And then it's, I, I'm just, I'm a different person. And I, my students saw that in that moment, there was just a, someone said something really inappropriate about black people and I kind of lost my mind. And I think that students recognize that in me i think they recognize like oh don't don't push her too far because she's gonna come with facts and evidence and she's gonna make you feel very small with her words and so i yeah those just i feel like no one brings up a lot of racial things in my classroom because i will just completely smash the other side of that argument and I think maybe it is different when students have a white teacher and they maybe feel a little safer saying things yeah. to you or in front of you than they would me. Yeah. So, yeah, so I don't really have a ton of experience with sort of those racial arguments. Yeah. 
Well, and I, like I said, I don't, I don't have a wonderful, um, I, don't, I don't have wonderful guidelines to approach that particular moment other than like I'm a big, big believer in like having discussions, right? And, and our political discourse in this country is so garbage at this point. Uh, like some of it is our inability to disagree, but like if if our disagreement is like, I am a person, no, you are not, then like that's not worthy of a conversation to begin with, right? Like the 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 art of having that conversation does more damage than the other. Yeah, I don't know. And I, I know that particular event, we've talked a little bit, kind of nibbled around the edges of it, but I, I think it gets to another topic that we talked about. Like here in, you know, pandemic 2020, right? Month two of hybrid, like what has your interaction been with parents and what do you think is kind of the greater role in how we will all move forward? Because I don't, I don't think we're going face to face anytime soon, so... Yeah, I agree with you. I um, it's it's really interesting. I have not had really any pushback from parents directed at me, and I think part of that is just because kind of where my communication level is with parents anyway. Just in in a regular school year, I I tend to send regular updates. I usually send an email once every couple of weeks or so, just saying you know here's what's going on in English class. Um, here's sort of where my expectations lie. So I think that's that's part of it. Um, the other part I think is, again, I'm not piling a bunch of work onto our students. I think I have some pretty, I think as, as far as I can tell, I, I mean, I'm going to give my students sort of a feedback survey here in a couple of days, but I think as far as I can tell, I think I'm expecting a reasonable amount of work from my students you know things that aren't going to take them a couple hours every single day i don't, I don't see the purpose of that so I, I really haven't had i had one parent who was a little concerned with one of the assignments i presented but we very easily came up with a solution and outside of that i haven't had parents directly reach out to me and say mrs Greider, this this isn't working or whatever it is However, I'm, I'm pretty heavily involved in social media, so I've seen a lot. I've seen a lot of parents who, I mean, and it seems like it's either one or the other. There are parents who are saying things like, my child is completely inundated with work. They're working all day, every day, and they can't get everything done. And they're signing into four, five, six Zooms every single day. And it's too much. And they're struggling. They can't keep up. And then there are parents who are at the completely opposite end of the spectrum who are saying, my student doesn't have enough work. My students' teachers aren't having direct instruction and they're not learning anything. And this is such a joke. And, you know, he gets to play video games five hours every day because he doesn't have enough work. And yeah. I, I have found that, you know, the parents, I think, who are comfortable right now aren't the ones who are vocal on social media. So you get a lot yeah. of, like, polarizing conversations. Um, and so for me, I mean, I, I've definitely, like I said, I've, it's been a lot of trial and error over the last several weeks just trying to figure out what works and what doesn't. And I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing until yeah. someone who signs my paychecks says no. <laughs> right. So, yeah. So, well, and again, like if a parent reaches out to me directly, I'm absolutely open to having that conversation. But it hasn't happened yet. I'm going to knock on wood just in case. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I think you're probably doing it right. You know, like, uh, I think there is a middle ground there. Uh, so I have a 13-year-old who's in eighth grade, 
and uh, we were definitely in the camp of uh, like he has a lot of work, right? And uh, not to, not to be critical of a subject matter. All right, I understand. I'm I am arts and humanities all the way. Okay, uh, but I have found sometimes the linear nature of math and science teachers tends to be a little less forgiving uh, when it comes to uh, more uh, like emotional or you know you know things like empathy, right? Uh, so his his math. Uh, it's a lot, right? Like I think the second or third week of school, he had like 15 assignments, and it was like this. This seems uh, a bit much, right? Um, and and I think it's I think it's maybe more in middle school than it is here in high school that like there is this innate drive to try to get them ready for high school, and and we see some of that. Like we got to get them ready for college, you know. And I. I just don't think that's fundamentally true. I agree. <laughs> you know, I like, agree. <laughs> like, like you, you they'll be fine. About, like, things being arbitrary, that feels so arbitrary to me. Yeah, right. Like, what does that even mean? Because I will tell you, I, I graduated uh, from this high school, and I was not necessarily ready for college, but still figured it out, you know, and, and things were fine. And I think we all did that. So, Absolutely. yeah, man. And we can't underestimate uh, how resilient kids are i think sometimes i I mean you and i have been around teenagers long enough to know that they are really great smart people who adapt to pretty much anything and i think sometimes people forget that like they're going to be okay it's okay yeah well in in some ways more so than we are right right? like uh, that's that is not to say to be perfectly honest i have had a number of students uh in my classroom and out of my classroom that seemed to be struggling uh, a bit more with mental health issues. But, uh, you know, I think that just makes our job more important, right? Building those relationships and seeing those kids and trying to get them the, the help they need. But like a year from now, I think it's gonna be folks like you and I that are still like in our therapy sessions working through what the last two two years have really meant, you know? And the kids will be like, oh yeah, college is great and yada, yada, yada. And, <laughs> Right. You know, and we're still we're, trying to overcome this. <laughs> yeah, right. Be like, Jesus, 2020. And it'll be like 2025. We'd be like, Tyler, it's time to move on, man. Right. right. It's 100% how I have felt the entirety of this year, though. I'd be like, oh, my God. It's never going to end. Absolutely. Well, we, we, we should say we are uh, recording this like three or four days before the election. And regardless of. Uh, we're like less what than a side week of, out. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, right. Regardless of how, uh, you know, the, the listening audience feels uh, politically, like there's no denying the fact that this has been a brutal political season. You know, like it uh, th- there are not a lot of uplifting arguments. Um, it feels like a dark time. So my hope is uh, my hope is after next Tuesday that that part gets less complicated, you know. So, uh, yeah, I got nothing. So what do you think, right? Like, let's end uh, today's episode. What do you think second semester looks like? I think second semester, there are going to be more students physically present. And the reason I say that is because I, I just listened to our superintendent's interview with one of our broadcasting students. She She gave him an interview and she mentioned, so the parents haven't, 
there's the deadline isn't here yet. I think the deadline is a, is in a couple weeks for parents to choose whether or not they want their student here in person or online. So in person being hybrid still. And she indicated that we would have more students physically present. So I think that will be a little bit of a change. And I'm, you know, I'm not sure about you, but I do feel pretty safe as far as just the number of students we have physically in the building at one time. Every single person mm -hmm. is in a mask. Everybody is, I mean, it's very, I mean, I, I don't know about you, but I haven't had a single mask issue. I mean, not a single one of my students has tried to come in without a mask or take it off or anything. So um, I, I worry a little bit about the students who haven't been here this semester, who will be here next semester. But I also think just from an academic standpoint, and from a logistical standpoint, I think it will be easier for us teachers because I think we have a better idea of what we're walking into. So, um, so yeah, I think I, I'm looking forward to more trial and error this semester so I can have, you know, fewer errors next semester. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's just the nature of what we do. Yeah. Slightly, slightly fewer errors than uh, this time last year, last semester. So, uh, like, I haven't listened to that interview yet. Uh, is it like a district-wide policy change or just more people that are switching from virtual to in-person? It's just more people who are switching from virtual to in-person. I, okay. I am curious. She didn't address this in the interview, but she did mention – she did not mention if we had students who are in-person now switching to virtual. She didn't mention those mm -hmm. numbers, so I, I'm not sure kind of where the balance falls there. Um, but So, I, so it's it, – it's not like the board is deciding to send everybody back. No, no. I actually okay. have been, I've, I've tuned in to our last couple of board meetings because I've been really interested. And uh, I would say based on their presentation, they have very purposely decided to remain down the middle. Like <laughs> There is no sway. Okay. <laughs> it is just, here are the facts, here are the numbers, here's the survey data. This is what we're saying. These are all the things we need to consider before we decide if we're going to change our modalities. Okay. So okay. there was there. I definitely didn't feel like there was any push or pull one way or the other. Well, that's good. You know, like, uh, uh, yeah, that, that's just one more complication is I think everybody, everybody wants to get back to normal. Uh, trust me. Yeah. I totally understand <laughs> Your teachers that. more than yeah. anybody want to be back to normal, but also we, yeah. we want to be like healthy and want to live and we don't want our colleagues to die. And you know, right. Right. <laughs> right. And, and I, I have been, uh, it has been surprising that our numbers have been as low as they are. You know, I mean, we have had some teachers have to quarantine. We have had a number of sick kids, but I don't, I, I don't know about you, but, Man, I was like, I am a little worried that this is going to get out of hand. But I think that just goes to prove what the experts have been saying all along, which is if you cover your dang face. Right, right. Wear a mask, we, stay far apart, wash your hands. <laughs> right. Then, then things can return to at least some semblance of normality, you know? So, yeah, man. Uh, cover your dang face. Yeah. Nose, too. Yeah. Don't leave your nose out. Yeah, right. That's the only issues I've had or, you know, kids that have it dropped down or whatever. But yeah, like zero pushback from those right. kids, oh, yeah. you know, like uh, I think we are all here and we're all suffering uh, together, like uh, a, a personal anecdote. Uh, so I, w I was talking to uh, another parent at a, my own child's function and they were complaining about having to wear masks while we watched our, our child play, right? 
and you know like this is such a pain in the butt and blah 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 and it drove me bonkers because i wear one of these things you know 10 hours right. a day <laughs> all day every and, day yeah and and our 15 16 17 18 year old kids do this every day if they can do it then for a 80 minute soccer game or whatever then like cover your face right you're you gonna know? be fine <laughs> right right you you will not die of carbon monoxide poisoning or exactly. whatever exactly so. exactly <laughs> oh very good well uh everybody i i hope that you have enjoyed uh you know the first kind of episode of what we are doing here uh as jessica mentioned uh she is very much uh online where can they uh where can they find more of your stuff on social media? Um, so I tweet at Mrs. underscore G underscore writer. So um, I tweet a lot about education and politics and books. <laughs> I tweet about books a lot. Yay! Um, you can also find me on Instagram at Mrs. G writer. Awesome. Very good. Well, you can find me tweeting uh, mostly about politics, but also horror movies, because that's my other big passion, uh, at Ty Unsel. Or you can check out some of the other stuff that I've written over at uh, the online magazine that I am the editor-in-chief of at Signal Horizon. So until then, uh, stay masked up, uh, stay good to one another, and... um, We hope that you voted. We can't tell you to vote because it's going to be released after that, but good for you if you voted. Bye.